Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with health, performance, and how to elevate the human experience. I explore the latest tools, science, and technology with experts in various fields of human optimization. This is your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. Welcome back for round two with Dr. Francisco Gonzalez-Lima. Last week, we talked about cytochrome oxidase in the history of methylene blue. This week, we're getting into dosing, what it can be used for, and why you may want to consider pharmaceutical-grade methylene blue. But who is Dr. Gonzalez-Lima? He's a courtesy professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Texas at Austin. He also holds the George I. Sanchez Centennial Professorship where he is a professor in the departments of, get this, psychology, psychiatry, pharmacology, toxicology, and the Institute of Neuroscience. I am so grateful, just given all that I've read, that he even took the time out to speak with me, and he was so generous with his time. And so what is Dr. Gonzalez Lima currently researching? They're focusing on the beneficial neurocognitive and emotional effects of non-invasive human brain stimulation in healthy, aging, and mentally ill populations. Round two, as I mentioned before, is such a treat. So let me know what you guys think about this, but also the show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash FGL2. That's FGL and the number two. Enjoy my conversation with Dr. Francisco Gonzalez Nima. It's fascinating what a chemical compound that is used as a blue dye, but was also originally formulated to help with malaria, can do. And I encountered this about a year and a half ago when I was given a buccal trochee and allowed it to dissolve in my upper lip. My tongue turned blue and I felt fantastic. And that was the early prototype of what then became blue kenotine. Paired with nicotine, CBD, and caffeine, methylene blue acts in somewhat of a synergistic way to give me this amazing focus, which I'm utilizing right now. If you want to try that, or if you just want to try 16 milligrams of pure methylene blue, head on over to troscriptions.com. I'm involved with the company. That's because I love the product so much. But use the code BOOMER, B-O-O-M-E-R, get yourself 10% off. Let's get back to this conversation with Dr. Gonzalez Lima. So that's where methylene blue uh, comes to this picture. But why do you say, why you, you may ask, why uh, methylene blue has been used for so many things? Because this process of electron uh, cycling is so, uh, you know, it's part of redox mm-hmm. chemistry. All kinds of reactions, uh, chemical reactions have to do with this exchange of electrons. Mm-hmm. A couple of follow-on questions to that, because this is just fascinating and my mind is just absolutely lighting up right now. On the low versus high concentration, and I'll link to your papers in the show, show notes, is there an approximate cutoff between you know what is low versus what is high, and I guess in high doses you already mentioned what could potentially happen to people. Yes, yes, uh, it it is uh, what we call uh, is a curve mm-hmm. uh, that goes up and then down. So 
if you have uh, down the concentration of uh, methylene blue and up, you have, for example, the activity of cytochrome oxidase or o oxygen consumption. Mm -hmm. uh, when you start with the low amounts, you start increasing oxygen consumption, mm -hmm. cytochrome oxidase activity. All of these are beneficial effects. Until you reach a concentration, that's a, a peak. And from there on, if you keep increasing uh, the if you keep increasing the concentration of uh, methylene blue, the opposite starts mm -hmm. happening. You start going down uh, in oxygen consumption, down in cytochrome oxidase activity. So sometimes this is referred to aphasic response. Low, low levels uh, produce an increase in the response. Mm -hmm. High levels then produce the opposite effects. The pharmacological term is uh, hormetic dose response yeah. Yeah. or the phenomenon of hormesis. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so where is that cutoff? That cutoff uh, you can measure in different uh, ways. If you have uh, in vitro, you can have uh, homogenates of the brain and then you can measure the molar concentration there. But if you want to translate that into uh, an organism, where uh, you can inject an amount of methylene blue uh, based on the weight of the animals, uh, then the, in our experiments, and we tested many of these, uh, it is between like a half milligram uh, per kilogram of body weight to about uh, four or five milligrams per kilogram mm -hmm. of body weight. When you are there, you are in this uh, beneficial part mm -hmm. of the curve. The amounts that I gave you are in the yeah. top. In the top is where you have the half milligram to the five milligram. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, the lower amounts are still beneficial, but they're just not reaching that okay. peak. And after that five, uh, you start going down. You still may be, be beneficial, but you're going to reach a point where you're going to go below yeah. baseline. It, and it will do the opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, it will become a, a poison. It will become a killer <sighs> because uh, it is grabbing your oxygen. Mm -hmm. It's directly grabbing the, the oxygen and uh, it's not allowing the oxygen to be reduced from water. And... Uh, this, uh, unfortunately, there are some people who don't understand this biphasic effect. The majority of drugs, not just methylene blue, have a biphasic dose response mm -hmm. uh, in which low doses produce the opposite of high doses. And this works both ways. What do I mean? Uh, if the low dose is, uh, you can have a situation less, uh, and uh, other phenomena like radiation follow the same hormetic uh, behavior. Uh, le let's say cancer uh, cells that are irradiated uh, to kill them. Well, at a high dose, 
that irradiation kills the cancer cells or a low dose of irradiation, it promotes formation of cancer mm -hmm. cells. So it works both ways. Uh, you can have the beneficial effect being at the high dose or the beneficial effect being at the low dose, depending on what is the intervention. In the case of uh, methylene blue, is the low dose what produces the beneficial effects. So uh, I wonder if, just hy hypothetically here, if let's say somebody had a compromised uh, Krebs cycle, for instance, with mercury poisoning, um, could methylene blue then substitute for the electron donor at the end of that? I guess it would, wouldn't it? Or independent of what's going on up top in the Krebs cycle? It, uh, it could be happening at, at many different points, uh, not, 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 in the, not only yeah. in the Krebs cycle. But the answer mm -hmm. is yes. Uh, if you don't have, uh, you're interfering in this case with the formation of the uh, electron donors, and we have tested these in animals in uh, numerous ways. Uh, yes, uh, methylene blue becomes uh, now a replacement. Uh, and uh, you can also have, for example, uh, inside the mitochondria, you can have an inhibition in the electron transport chain at any one of these. Uh, there are four uh, main uh, transferring stations. Mm -hmm. uh, they're called uh, enzymatic complexes or mitochondrial Complex one, two, three, four. Four is cytochrome mm -hmm. oxidase. Uh, if you inhibit uh, the activity of any of those complex, you cannot uh, progress uh, effectively the electron transport. Mm -hmm. So we have, uh, we can do this, uh, and these uh, chemicals that do that are what we call uh, metabolic poisons. Mm -hmm. For example, what is the most classic poison historically that you can think of? Uh, the ones that you remember the philosophers were uh, taking. Oh, like rat poison or cyanide or something like that, right? <laughs> cyanide. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the Russian spies supposedly had it in their mm -hmm. rings. Uh, Take it up and uh, very quickly they will die. What does, well, how does it kill? What does cyanide does? Cyanide inhibits cytochrome mm -hmm. oxidase. When you inhibit cytochrome oxidase, uh, more than about a third of its activity, you die. <laughs> as simple as that, because you can no longer use mm -hmm. oxygen. But what about if methylene blue is there at a low concentration inside your mitochondria? It can bypass that phenomenon and directly donate electrons to oxygen. The electrons that couldn't be donated by the inhibited cytochrome oxidase now. So methylene blue is an antidote in emergency mm -hmm. rooms. Methylene blue is listed by the World Health Organization as one of the essential medications in human history that should be available mm -hmm. and is supposedly should be available in every emergency room around the world. Uh, so if you have any kind of metabolic poison, like I gave the example of cyanide, but you can uh, have, uh, for example, 
uh, we use in our experiments a lot of one is called uh, rotenone. Mm-hmm. It inhibits uh, complex one. Uh, the same thing happens. Uh, rotenone prevents uh, flow from complex one, so it allows only uh, starting from complex two, which is the, my, the, the smaller component, but you can bypass that by providing electrons through uh, back uh, to the electron transport from methylene mm-hmm. blue. So you can prevent uh, the cells from, from dying uh, by using this uh, uh, process. And uh, right now, the most common application and the, the only one that the FDA mentions uh, here in the United States, unfortunately, is uh, uh, cytochrome oxidase has what, it has to grab oxygen to be able to catalyze this reaction. So the way it attracts oxygen is the same way that hemoglobin inside your blood attracts oxygen. Mm-hmm. It has a group that is called the heme group that in the center has an iron. Mm-hmm. You know that oxygen and iron are attracted because it oxidizes the iron. So it is like a globe, you know, in a baseball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that, uh, that oxygen uh, can be cached. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a heme group in a hemoglobin, that's where the name comes, uh, and uh, hemoglobin has it there, and but hemoglobin only carries, carries, transports the oxygen mm-hmm. inside your blood. But where does it transport it to? Who is the one who's going to catch that? That's cytochrome mm-hmm. oxidase. So that oxygen is going to have to go from hemoglobin to cytochrome oxidase. Mm-hmm that transfer and this process of uh, transferring can be interfered by you blocking the cytochrome oxidase or by you blocking the hemoglobin. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you have a carbon monoxide, it's uh, similar to oxygen. It can occupy the same pocket here and interfere with oxygen mm-hmm. binding. You can have other compounds, for example, nitrites that I can do similar, a whole series of compounds. When hemoglobin cannot carry oxygen efficiently, you end up with something that, that is called uh, hemoglobinemia. Oh. Mm-hmm. In this uh, condition, what means is the hemoglobin in the blood because you have a poison, a metabolic poison, you're interfering with this carriage. So what is the only way that you can fix this? The only antidote that prevents, uh, like a kids uh, here in the U.S., uh, kids uh, go to the baseball game. Mm-hmm. They, uh, a little kid, four, five years old, eats several hot dogs filled with yeah. nitrites uh, as preservative. <laughs> These nitrites uh, get into the circulation before the ball game is finished. The little kid uh, starts turning blue, mm-hmm. cyanotic, turning blue because there is l- less oxygenated hemoglobin, which is mm-hmm. red, as opposed to deoxygenated hemoglobin that is blue. Uh, 
they take it to the emergency room. The only thing they can get the kid that will uh, prevent the kids from dying is methylene blue. So, methylene blue prevents the so-called met hemoglobinemia. Mm -hmm. So it is used as an antidote for any metabolic poison that is affecting the transport. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you want to get the methylene blue inside the blood directly. So you inject it intravenously mm -hmm. so it can target. The methylene blue will have more affinity for that uh, pocket and the, it will liberate, will compete with the, with the poison and, and it will allow the, the uh, hemoglobin to be released. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so it is a lifesaver, but it has been only used primarily for this acute uh, antidote. Mm -hmm. uh, however, if you give it uh, a low dose uh, chronically, it uh, fights uh, toxic compounds. Mm -hmm that may be interfering uh, with the transport of oxygen, but also with the utilization of oxygen by cytochrome oxidase uh, inside the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. So the, it has the benefits on the two ends. And uh, this is why it's so useful for so many different things. But I can give you a historical account of some of the uh, I would, if you want. I want to double click on some of the broader benefits of methylene blue because you know I've used it in the context of focus. I've also found, and I speculate that this is the antifungal nature of it, it's had a, a unique positive effect on my gut. Um, but are there, uh, the cognitive benefits, is that predominantly through the mechanisms that we just discussed with cytochrome oxidase? Yes, the, 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 the cognitive benefits uh, are primarily for facilitating the energy uh, supply to mm -hmm. the brain so that you can obtain more energy. Uh, so we have done uh, uh, acute experiments uh, in humans. Uh, we first were in animals, and we show even healthy animals. We could improve uh, their memory performance by low-dose uh, methylene blue. At the beginning, I thought uh, I was only going to be able to improve uh, the memory in an animal who had a, uh, a deficient memory because of uh, an intervention. One of these uh, toxic compounds that I told you, like cyanide, mm -hmm. a very low dose, or rotenone, uh, will produce a learning and memory deficit, and methylene brew will uh, neutralize that, uh, will bring the animal back. Like in that uh, uh, study that, I, that you mentioned that we recently yeah. published, there, instead of giving the animal a toxic compound, I try to simulate uh, one of the processes that is the most uh, uh, consistent process that happens as we grow old. And that is that we have a chronic uh, hypoperfusion to the mm -hmm. brain. That is, our circulatory mm -hmm. system becomes compromised and we perfuse less blood to the brain. By doing that, we provide less oxygen and less nutrients to the brain. So the question there, there is a lot of uh, epidemiological data and clinical data suggesting that this uh, problem with the vascular supply to the brain is related to the cognitive decline that happens as people grow older, but also uh, with dementia. Mm -hmm. 
what we refer to as geriatric dementia. Uh, geriatric dementia uh, includes all of these types of dementia uh, that happen in all age, Alzheimer's mm-hmm. disease. Uh, let me just say, uh, I'll, I'll get to the, Alzi- the, the terminology with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. in a moment, but uh, right now, what I was telling you is uh, with the methylene blue, uh, you can facilitate uh, memory when there is a deficiency, but also uh, in a healthy uh, mm-hmm. animal. And uh, in, in the case of the study that I was uh, building up to, uh, we knew there is a lot of evidence now uh, that this vascular compromise precedes and causes uh, a lot of this uh, cognitive decline. Mm-hmm. But how can you demonstrate this? You cannot produce this in a person experimentally on the control conditions. So we decided to do it in, in animals. Mm-hmm. In animals, you can ligate the carotid arteries that the main uh, supply of blood to mm-hmm. the brain. Uh, is coming from, but you can do it in a way that you allow collateral circulation so that it's only a partial uh, decrease, simulating what's happening as you grow older. Unfortunately, uh, after 45 years of age, uh, every uh, year after that, uh, you have a slight decrease in the perfusion to your brain. Your uh, cardiovascular system compensates. It's called autoregulation by the heart pumping harder, so your blood pressure starts increasing, so you can get more blood to your brain. But that process reaches a point that it can no longer compensate for that uh, hypoperfusion. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can do that uh, in the animal by this ligation, and then we gave them, uh, we maintained this for one month, and uh, we gave a control group uh, the saline uh, vehicle, uh, the inert uh, solution injected, and in the others, the low-dose uh, methylene blue uh, daily uh, injected. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, the animals uh, can uh, maintain the memory function, whereas the other ones uh, have a memory impairment. And if you look at the brains after uh, one month, uh, you can also prevent the neurodegeneration that is happening in the brain uh, by uh, this chronic low-level methylene blue treatment. And uh, this is not the only time that we've done this in terms of uh, facilitating memory and preventing neurodegeneration. Mm-hmm. But this was the first time that we did it with a hypoperfusion mm-hmm. model. In other words, with uh, one change that we know is one of the major factors contributing to the geriatric or all-age uh, cognitive decline and dementia. So, uh, I guess the, the next question is, is because it sounds like you have something brilliant here and it's a very elegant and candidly probably cheaper solution in order to deal with one of society's largest problems, which is neurodegenerative decline or disease. Uh, how do we move from 
you know, in, in vitro rat studies well, what, to what, humans? Well, we, we did some of the mm-hmm. human work uh, already uh, because we wanted to prove uh, that it's safe and uh, we wanted to prove that it can improve memory in humans. Uh, We've done that in two studies uh, mm-hmm. already. Uh, giving it to humans, uh, we mapped using functional MRI uh, the effects of methylene blue in the human brain. Uh, and we shown that you can improve a cognitive uh, testing. Uh, it's, uh, so what is stopping us? Uh, methylene blue has been used for over 120 years. It's uh, a lifesaver. Mm-hmm. Uh, the concentrations that we need to use are the same low concentrations that are used in the emergency mm-hmm. room for an acute uh, effect uh, to prevent uh, uh, metabolic uh, uh, toxins from damaging uh, or killing someone. Uh, so what is stopping this? Well, uh, follow the money. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. You can't patent something that's been around for over 100 years. No pharmaceutical company, mm-hmm. and I have tried. Uh, when I first started doing this work, uh, there was a company in the U.S. Uh, that was making uh, methylene blue, and it was in pill forms. There were pills of 65 milligrams, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which would have been equivalent to uh, in a 65 kilogram uh, person, it would have been equivalent to one milligram per mm-hmm. kilogram, which would have been fine. They were actually widely used in the U.S. Uh, many years ago uh, for a different purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I can also explain that all the purpose because related to the other uh, point that you brought in, but... Uh, let me explain that and then go back to the issue of the pharmaceutical. Uh, in the U.S., that compound, that company is no longer around, was called uh, Urolin Blue. It's just a name for uh, they gave to methylene blue mm-hmm. pills. And Urolin uh, sounds, sounds like urine, uh, u- urinary bladder. The reason for it is that the way your body, your body doesn't break down methylene blue. Uh, to any significant mm-hmm. extent. So it is essentially all the methylene blue that you ingest uh, is removed from the circulation through the kidneys. It goes into the bladder, the urinary bladder, and you uh, urinate that back out. In about 12 hours, uh, half of the methylene blue that you consume with this uh, low-level uh, doses it's uh, uh, excreted mm-hmm. out you pee so that's why when you pee after you take methylene blue you pee yeah. blue or bluish mm-hmm. it depends it depends uh, it could be green if your urine was uh, yellow then the blue and the yellow makes it green if your urine was clear then it's more bluish uh, so a whole range of uh, it discolors the urine. Uh, it's, uh, so what does this mean? It means that uh, has uh, after you take a dose of this over time, let's say these first twelve hours were half of it, 
gets into your bladder. So the bladder gets a high concentration. All of that that is sort of being distributed through your body gets concentrated in your bladder. And what happens when methylene blue is a high concentration? It's just the opposite of the low concentration. Mm -hmm. It becomes a killer. It becomes a pro-oxidant. So if you have microbes in your bladder, like in a urinary tract yeah. infection, then it kills the microbes. So urine blue was used as a treatment of choice for urinary tract infections. Mm -hmm. You know, like older people, especially older women, have recurrent urinary tract infections because uh, they don't, they uh, allow the urine to remain in the bladder for too long because of the changes that happen in the, your ability to uh, urinate uh, over time as you grow older. So when the antibiotics became popular, then this uh, treatment uh, was changed and doctors uh, were not, no longer taught about methylene blue and they prescribed antibiotics mm -hmm. for urinary tract infections. And then uh, people, old, especially older people, were for one month uh, taking antibiotics uh, to, to relieve that, of course, having other debilitating effects uh, by a, a damaging your intestinal flora, for example, uh, with the antibiotics. Uh, and unfortunately, they will be free for a couple of months or so, but uh, if their urine concentrates there for too long, they, they get reinfected yeah. with their own, with their own uh, bacterial flora. Uh, so this, this is a problem that already has a solution, but that company uh, closed down. It couldn't compete with the antibiotics. The physicians wouldn't prescribe it, even though it was a better treatment mm -hmm. and it didn't produce these other side effects. Uh, and also for another reason that, that I'm going to get to uh, that is more sinister. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, mm. Now that uh, all of this information that we have been working for uh, many years uh, about methylene blue was being out, uh, all the people have been trying to uh, use this. There was a group uh, from the UK that found that uh, methylene blue uh, in vitro uh, uh, could prevent the phosphorylation of tau mm -hmm. and then uh, they created a company that has uh, part of their name with the same word. I'm not going to mm -hmm. mention the name. Uh, and uh, this company is uh, being promoted as an anti-tau uh, treatment using methylene blue. Well, what happened? Uh, they realized they couldn't uh, patent the methylene blue, so they come up with a, a simple derivative, uh, which is not really a derivative. They just had a redu reduced form of methylene blue. When methylene blue is reduced, it's called leucomethylene yeah. blue. Leuco means transparent mm -hmm. or uh, white. You uh, see it in skincare sometimes, right? You see that with huh? skincare sometimes, right? It, well, the leucomethylene blue, well, let me explain. That's a, a different one. Uh, the leucomethylene blue 
means it's reduced, it's transparent. Uh, however, that's the form. Whenever methylene blue gets into your body, it cannot go across the cell membrane unless it's reduced into leucomethylene blue. So your body all, all does that naturally. Uh, but anyway, that company make the leucomethylene blue and they have been doing clinical trials with Alzheimer's patients. And uh, unfortunately, because they believe in vitro, the more uh, methylene blue you have, the, the more you interfere with uh, this tau phosphorylation, then they believe the more you have, the better. Uh, and those uh, dependent curves discussed there. <laughs> yeah, they, they uh, and believe me, I know they know about my work, and, uh, be, but they don't want because they already patented this uh, leucomethylene blue as having a different mechanism mm -hmm. of action than what I've been talking about here. So, of course, uh, when they started doing this with the higher doses, uh, this didn't mm -hmm. help. Uh, it became counterproductive. So some of their experiments, they gave very small amounts of methylene blue, and it turns out the, the people, the demented people who were benefiting were the ones getting the very low dose that they were using as a control uh, just, to, just to get the urine blue. <laughs> we're giving them this small amount, and the ones that are giving the doses that in vitro have the more uh, effect in uh, interfering with the tau phosphorylation, they were not benefiting. They were mm -hmm. worse off. Uh, and uh, so that company has been uh, coming up with all kinds of ways to try to explain these uh, that are, uh, frankly, uh, have no scientific mm -hmm. basis uh, and, uh, and unfortunately, also in some of the other studies, they have people with Alzheimer's that were being treated with the cholinesterase inhibitors uh, with memantine. And uh, then they added to that combination, they added the methylene blue, and this uh, doesn't work. Uh, the, uh, these other compounds uh, have uh, actually... Uh, detrimental effects uh, uh, when given chronically and uh, so they you couldn't demonstrate any benefit uh, on the those conditions mm -hmm. and however it is almost impossible uh, to convince uh, uh, neurologists uh, to take off these medications people with dementia so it becomes uh, nearly impossible to do a trial with only methylene mm -hmm. blue uh, nowadays. Uh, so this is uh, one of the issues. So, but what happens then, this is the sinister part of it. Uh, a lot of pharmaceutical companies didn't yeah. want methylene blue to come in, into the picture because uh, they couldn't patent it. They couldn't make money from it. Uh, it's very inexpensive to synthesize. It used to be widely available, yeah. uh, not anymore. Why not anymore? Because they uh, influenced the FDA uh, to say, wait a minute, why you're not regulating methylene blue? Methylene blue is a grandfather yeah. drug. In other words, being around for decades before the FDA was mm -hmm. created. So 
drugs that were safe and used for decades before the FDA, the FDA grandfather. So uh, they put a lot of pressure and now anybody who wants to do anything with methylene blue, the FDA requires uh, this investigational new drug applications and uh, makes it very difficult. And so all the studies that we did with humans, we had to obtain for each one of them, uh, do the process again, uh, an investigation on new drug application, demonstrating uh, the safety and uh, the demonstrating the advantages of the compound. seems ridiculous, (laughs) just in terms of the amount of loopholes and regulations that you have to go through in order to make this happen when, in fact, it's been around, as you say, decades before the FDA was even a thing. I mentioned this in the first episode, but we never really got around to speaking about low-level laser therapy. Dr. Francisco Gonzalez-Lima and I spent two hours talking about methylene blue, but he's also done some fascinating research in that field. And one of my favorite devices for low-level laser therapy is the V-Lite. I have the NeuroAlpha and it helps enhance things like meditation for me, even sleep. And it acts on something called cytochrome oxidase. We had Dr. Lou Lim on the show before, and you can refer to that podcast to get more information on the device. But if you want yours, head on over to vlight.com, that's V-I-E-L-I-G-H-T, and use the code BOOMER, and you're going to get yourself 10% off your device. Let's get back to my conversation with Dr. Gonzalez Lima. It's been around uh, over 120 years, uh, and uh, it used to be available over the counter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something that I need to explain uh, for your viewers. Uh, methylene blue can have different degrees of yeah, purity. But let's go into that because that's that's something that's very important so people just don't go and buy the aquarium stuff. Yes, Uh in fact, like, like I told you, with the high concentration, it has an antiseptic activity. Like I explained in the case of the bladder, the urinary infection, uh, it also is used uh, in higher concentrations, actually taking up uh, orally with people that have uh, parasites, uh, especially the malaria yeah. parasites. Uh, right now, the, especially the Germans are the ones uh, giving... Uh, uh, usually children, thousands of children uh, in Africa with malaria and other intest- and, and, and they also have all kinds of intestinal parasites. They're given uh, methylene blue in concentrations from 7 to 10 milligrams per kilograms wow. orally, and, uh, and they act as an antiseptic, and they weaken one of the enzymes of the malaria parasites called the Plasmodium falciparum. And... Uh, and it's being used for that purpose, uh, and uh, but they they manufactured their own uh, methylene blue, uh, and uh, provided uh, free, you know, as uh, in campaigns as anti-malaria, anti-parasite campaigns. Uh, just just give it acutely for several days, usually three to four days, uh, but uh, that is pharmaceutical grade methylene mm-hmm. blue which is about 99% purity or, or more, 
it doesn't have some of the contaminants that are uh, present when you synthesize chemicals. Some other compounds are also formed in a small amounts, including mercury that you mentioned. Uh, and, uh, but for industrial purposes, there is a more inexpensive way to manufacture methylene blue uh, that uh, has uh, still about 95% purity. And uh, so right now there are three grades. Mm -hmm. The pharmaceutical grade that is about 99% plus uh, mm -hmm. purity. Uh, that is the one that you get injected in the emergency rooms for as an antidote. Uh, then you have the one that is called the chemical grade, uh, methylene blue, could be 95%, 96%, uh, 97%. This is the one that you can buy from, it's called chemical grade, mm -hmm. to use in the chemistry lab for making stains, uh, reactions, uh, sold by chemical company. And then the uh, lower uh, quality in terms of purity, the industrial mm -hmm. type, which, you know, it could be 90% or less uh, uh, purity uh, that has a lot of contaminants, but it's good enough to dye uh, clothes or dye some other compounds, uh, so, some other uh, materials. But the danger there uh, is obviously the fillers, right? And so... Yes, the, the danger is these other compounds are formed when you synthesize methylene blue and you don't uh, have the purified mm -hmm. form. So usually uh, either the chemical grade or the industrial grades are the ones available, for example, in the pet mm -hmm. stores uh, that you use for fish. If fish have any problem, actually any problem, any ectoparasites that is parasites are around their surface or microbes, uh, microorganisms that are uh, trying to eat them up, literally, uh, then you pour uh, methylene blue into the water. Yeah. Uh, and in, it's a high, relatively high concentration. But of course, it's going to be, the concentration is going to be higher to that external part of the <laughs> fish. It will provide this antiseptic function. And the one, the, the amount that the fish consumes uh, through, they just uh, consume some of the water, is not enough to be harmful. So it's more beneficial. So every pet store uh, in, the, in the world uh, has uh, methylene blue bottles. However, they are either chemical grade or industrial grade, and you yeah. don't know. They won't, they won't tell you what uh, concentration level of purity you have. So you have to buy methylene blue from a source that is pharmaceutical grade. And there are two standards. Uh, one is called the USP or United States uh, Pharmacopeia, mm -hmm. the pharmaceutical standard. That's the highest one. In other words, they require uh, more purity, less concentration of certain uh, of these contaminants. Mm -hmm. And then the other standard is the European uh, uh, pharmaceutical mm -hmm. standard and it is also uh, good quality it's just that they uh, allow slightly more concentrations of certain 
contaminants. And uh, for example, the ones that the Germans use when they go uh, to Africa in these uh, anti-malaria campaigns uh, is, is the European mm-hmm. one. Uh, and uh, in the U.S. and Canada, they use the USP. Uh, USP is a uh, pharmaceutical grade in the mm-hmm. U.S., some companies in Europe, uh, because they want to sell to the U.S. and Canada, they manufacture uh, USP-grade uh, methylene blue mm-hmm. as well. Even though they are European companies, there is one in France that actually came up with a new way of synthesizing methylene blue that is uh, virtually uh, free of, of contaminants. It's the most pure uh, form available. And they were able to patent the method for the mm-hmm. synthesis. So the, that means they're asking much of more course, money of course for the methylene blue <laughs> than what you can get through the classic uh, pharmaceutical grade. But synthesis. pharmaceutical grade, suffice to say, is, is good enough to do. Oh, well, it is safe. Uh, and it's uh, given, like I say, it's injected... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there are people uh, who have uh, deficits, for example, in, cyto- in cytochrome oxidase that mm-hmm. I told you uh, that are born with these uh, deficits. Uh, there is one disease, it's, uh, it's called uh, Leber's uh, mm-hmm. syndrome. Uh, the, the full name is uh, subacute uh, necrotizing uh, Leukoneuropathy. Say that one five uh, times that fast. Is, uh, wow. But yeah, that one uh, means uh, cytochrome oxidase uh, is not fully mm-hmm. functional. And uh, so their brain starts degenerating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they take methylene blue all their mm-hmm. life uh, to be able to uh, keep functioning. Uh, so uh, it's not only being used uh, acutely. Uh, as an antidote, but in this particular, this uh, unfortunately, that's a rare, uh, or fortunately, is a rare condition, uh, but they can take it every day uh, for the lifespan in order to, in order to be able to use oxygen. So I think uh, that answers my question over long-term use concerns. Um, I guess there's no long-term use concerns that we know of? No. Uh, there is... Uh, uh, Right now, in the U.S. in particular, there's a new class of drugs that became, at some point, the most prescribed drugs in the U.S. And this is the antidepressants that are called the SSRIs, Mm -hmm. the Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors. Uh, If you're taking SSRIs, uh, this is a counterindicator with methylene blue. Because methylene blue actually has itself an antidepressant is a mild, but it's been demonstrated uh, in clinical research, a mild antidepressant action. This is the uh, MAOI properties, or is that something else? Yes, uh, it is primarily, but not exclusively, because part of uh, depression involves uh, fatigue, mm-hmm. uh, low energy. Uh, so methylene blue fights this uh. out through improving energy consumption, but uh, also methylene blue at uh, low doses, uh, it uh, 
uh, inhibit some of the action of that enzyme that is called uh, MAO, monoamine <laughs> oxidase. Uh, so monoamine oxidase inhibitors are a classic class of antidepressant medications. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for example, uh, St. John's Worth, a herb that has some antidepressant properties is a MAO inhibitor. Uh, so, uh, so the FDA has a warning not to use uh, methylene blue together with uh, uh, SSRIs. Mm -hmm. uh, however, the problem is not the methylene blue. The problems are the SSRIs. <laughs> Uh, methylene blue by itself is completely safe. Mm -hmm. And let me explain that uh, FDA warning. Uh, all medications uh, have some kind of FDA warning. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, they didn't have one for methylene blue before, but there is a situation where methylene blue is used at higher concentrations and is uh, during surgery in the neck mm -hmm. for removing the parathyroids. These are small glands next to the thyroids that are embedded in the fat, subcutaneous fat inside the neck, but it's very difficult to be visualized by the surgeons. So when the surgeons cut through the neck, they want to see where the parathyroids are to remove them. They pour methylene blue into the wound mm -hmm. and uh, the most active tissue there between the fat and the gland is the gland mm -hmm. so the gland uh, then they the tissue and they see that the one that is stained more is the gland tissue mm -hmm. and then they can remove it and then they repeat this several times until they know they remove all of it so this is an uncontrolled use of methylene blue because now that methylene blue is getting the circulation uh, in an open wound and they had never had this pro a problem with this technique actually they've been doing that technique since the 1970s uh, so it's however when people were, ta were taking these SSRIs were anesthetized their brain function was depressed and were then given these uh, large concentrations of methylene blue, then when they were recovering, they found increases in serotonin leading to serotonin syndrome in several of these cases, and this led to the warning. Mm -hmm. However, it has never been seen if you don't have those three conditions. Yeah. A group of uh, surgeons pharmacologists in the Mayo Clinic uh, wrote a rebuttal to the FDA saying, this is not right. You are warning general for SSRIs when it's only under these specific conditions that happen. And they present evidence that in the majority of cases, even under those conditions, it doesn't lead to any uh, adverse effect. So, that's the only uh, negative side effects. Uh, you can check out there are some people that have some enzymatic deficits. Uh, mm -hmm. 
that uh, had to do with uh, urine, uh, it being able to excrete compounds through urine, you mm -hmm. know. So in that case, then you cannot excrete your methylene blue properly, so your levels can build up inside your blood. So there, in that uh, rare situation, then you can have uh, uh, problems. So if you have a urinary tract, uh, urinary di diseases uh, that doesn't allow you to excrete the methylene blue, the methylene blue will build up in mm -hmm. your blood. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's uh, essentially, uh, we had to worry about all this uh, when we did the human trials mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that people didn't have these issues. Dr. Gonzalez-Lima, I, I just looked at the time and wow, it's flown by. And I didn't even get to the second topic that I want to ask you about. So I would like to invite you back for a round two at some point. Uh, but I do have a final few rapid fire questions, if it's okay with you, to just sure. round off our conversation. Um, first question, what's your top trick for enhancing focus? What is my what? Top trick for enhancing focus. Uh, well, I don't, I don't do tricks like magicians, <laughs> even, even though uh, methylene blue is called the magic bullet. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't think it, it's uh, magical, uh, but uh, definitely uh, methylene blue is prepared because uh, some of the other ways to increase uh, brain functions, for example, are based uh, on two things, uh, boosting energy. Uh, availability mm -hmm. or uh, neurotransmission. The, in my view, the weakest ones of these are neurotransmission because these are very transient uh, changes and they produce all kinds of other side effects. Uh, mm -hmm. they, there is no neurotransmitter that is specific uh, to, for example, cognitive function. Mm -hmm. They serve many different cellular functions. So uh, things that improve energy uh, and energy availability, use of oxygen. Uh, of course, everybody knows that aerobic exercise uh, will produce improved cognitive function. Why? The main reason that aerobic exercise accomplishes this is number one, it upregulates cytochrome oxidase, not only in your muscles, but in your brain and it increases your cardiovascular health so you can uh, get more uh, cerebral blood flow. Uh, and we have actually uh, seen that it's very similar the way exercise works uh, by facilitating mitochondrial respiration. So uh, there are other compounds that uh, you may have probably hear about uh, acetyl L-carnitine. Mm -hmm. It's a compound that uh, is involved in mitochondrial uh, energy production, so it can serve as a precursor mm -hmm. uh, there. So it can facilitate adding more substrate. Mm -hmm. But again, the limiting factor, uh, even if you have enough uh, substrate, if you're breathing enough oxygen, is always cytochrome oxidase. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't allow you to use that. And if you cannot uh, provide more energy, brain function is tightly coupled with energy use. So the more you are uh, working your brain, the more energy uh, is like uh, the brain is plugging to the wall uh, in an electrical 
uh, supply, you unplug it and it stops working. You don't provide oxygen, stops working and, and you die, pass out and die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're working more, uh, you're more electricity, you're drawing more energy. So I would say uh, I prefer to recommend people uh, the aerobic uh, fitness and uh, substrates like acetyl L-carnitine that facilitates uh, creation of uh, natural electron donors. Mm -hmm. And and what we didn't talk about here... uh, photobiomodulation or uh dr gonzalez lima i'm gonna have to have you back because that is one topic i would love to drill down more um i know we don't have enough time to do it Um, yes that would be another way to facilitate the same mechanism Mm -hmm. so uh, what excites you most about what's going on in the health world right now well uh unfortunately for everyone uh we're now uh being under attack by this uh, pandemic, uh, suffering from uh, COVID-19. So the crisis uh, from a health point of view happens uh, when you develop pneumonia. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so we need to find ways to prevent the formation of the pneumonia uh, it, uh, even if we are exposed to the virus, uh, which is likely, you know, uh, most people are going to be exposed and are going to get the virus. So the, uh, my concern would be how can we prevent the pneumonia? Yeah. I don't think vaccination is the way to go. Uh, this is something that this virus transforms itself uh, so quickly yeah. uh, in a rate similar to the cold virus. It's like we don't have a vaccine for the common cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to have an effective vaccine for uh, the SARS uh, virus mm-hmm. uh, that produces COVID-19. Uh, it will be more of a psychological uh, safety blanket uh, because uh, – the virus is going to change. Mm-hmm. So I think the focus should be on preventing the pneumonia, having a cell-protective. Uh, and it just happens that methylene blue may uh, be one uh, agent uh, that could do this in the lung. Mm-hmm. There are uh, dozens of studies, including the majority human studies, showing that... Uh, methylene blue can be cytoprotective for the same reasons that I told you, preventing the oxidative uh, stress and damage and facilitating energy utilization by all the tissues such as the lung. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in animal experiments, in one, there, unfortunately, it's only one uh, really well-detailed animal study where they experimentally induce pneumonia and they give methylene blue in the same uh, way that I just explained here. And they can prevent the pneumonia and the lung damage. And mm-hmm. they, they show you the, the tissues from the animals and all the measurements. of. Uh, and, uh, but it hasn't gone beyond that. So I wish uh, there will be uh, some groups interested in doing this. Unfortunately, again... Uh, 
pharmaceutical companies are not going to be interested because they won't be able to patent yeah. uh, this intervention. They will be able to patent any vaccine. And for example, the FDA has uh, have a very low threshold of effectiveness to yeah. approving a vaccine. Right now it's 50%. So it's almost by chance. Mm-hmm. It's fifty percent effective in people in, infected uh, to prevent uh, uh, or reduce severity of the disease uh, with the vaccine. It could almost be placebo, right? <laughs> like that. That could almost be a placebo effect in itself. It's unfortunate, but that's uh, that's going to be the first time around. The main concern is that it's not that it's only fifty percent effective, but it's not that it doesn't cause any harm. Mm-hmm. Because some of these will cause harm. Unfortunately, proteins in our body, just like the the microorganisms, uh, share commonalities. And Mm -hmm. when you develop any antibody against any protein or part of a protein, uh, there is going to be some cross-reactivity. There is no such thing as a vaccine that is completely uh, a specific and has no cross-reactivity. Yeah. So the, the important thing would be to avoid uh, adverse effects. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that uh, something like Metal and Blue will attract some other governments uh, that... Uh, it may have to be done by uh, non-profit uh, organizations or government organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, uh, they could easily do it uh, when the patients are, are coming in. They have it in every emergency room. Absolutely. As soon as they, they go into the emergency room, they can be put up uh, in methyl and blue. Uh, and uh, it will facilitate oxygenation. Uh, even if the lungs are compromised. <laughs> Dr. Gonzalez Lima, perhaps more of a personal question. What book has more, most significantly impacted your life? Can you repeat the question again? Yeah, sure. Uh, what book has most significantly impacted your life? Yes. Uh, I have to say uh, based on these topics uh, that it is a book written by Dr. Jack De La Torre. Okay. And uh, this book is about Alzheimer's disease. And uh, it uh, talks about a new paradigm, how this should be viewed. Uh, I don't re- recall exactly right now uh, the name of the book, uh, I can find but, it and put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's a book about the vascular hypothesis. Uh, it's uh, it's about prevention of Alzheimer's disease, mm-hmm. focusing on the vascular hypothesis and uh, ways that we can do to improve our aerobic health uh, through the cardiovascular system, but also in other ways that... Uh, and it shows all the evidence there of why the amyloid and the tau are not uh, what we should be focusing on and uh, how we should focus on vascular health and uh, 
other mechanisms that facilitate mitochondrial respiration, uh, including uh, what we have been talking about today. And uh, so, so I think it's uh, Alzheimer's uh, turning point. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a new way. I think this will have a big impact on society. And uh, it needs to be uh, used as an antidote for all of the uh, misinformation that has been going on for so long now mm -hmm. about Alzheimer's disease. Thank you. Dr. Gonzalez Lima, where can people find out more about you? I think the best way is uh, doing a Google search. I have a lot of my work in uh, so, uh, a German uh, uh, system that is called ResearchGate. Mm -hmm. uh, ResearchGate uh, has over uh, the profiles and papers of more than 17 uh, million uh, researchers in the world. Uh, it's freely available. You can just, you only need to register uh, for it. And uh, they is not a commercial type of uh, enterprise. So you search my name uh, in ResearchGate. And uh, in addition to my profile there, a very brief profile, you have access to many of my publications. Some of them are copyrighted and the publishing companies do not allow you to have them freely mm -hmm. available, but many of them are already uh, open access. Amazing. This has been such a pleasure for me. And like I said at the beginning, I've wanted to talk to you for a very, very long time. And this conversation is incredible. We only got to cover methylene blue, but I, I'm so glad that we went into such detail. So thank you so much for giving so much of your time today to talk about this topic. I really appreciate you. Thank you very much, Boomer. I really appreciate it. And to everyone listening out there, you can check this one out on YouTube or every other podcast channel. But it's been an amazing time. I hope you enjoyed it. Wow. I'm eternally grateful for the time that Dr. Gonzalez Lima gave to me in this interview. We spoke for over two hours. And when we stopped recording, the conversation continued. And so he is very, very generous with his time. And I love what he's doing in terms of research. If you enjoyed this episode, can you head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review? But also share it with a friend, TikTok, Instagram, wherever you speak on social media. It's really, really beneficial to the show. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash FGL2. And I appreciate you, superhumans. Have an absolutely epic.